A reading from Revelation. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Thank you, Mandy and Tracy. Have you ever had a love letter? Well, you don't have to answer out loud in case you incriminate yourself. But yeah, I once had a love letter from when I was when I I was about 15 years old from the sister of a school friend. And uh, to be honest, I hardly knew her. I was at boarding school at the time, and I had met her when her family had visited the school. um, And then it was a complete surprise when I got this love letter from her. Except. It wasn't really from her. My friends had done a prank. 
They had written to me as if it was from her, declaring, declaring undying love. And I fell for it, hook, line and sinker. Would you believe I wrote back to her? And she had never written to me. It's, I shudder when I think about it now. I hope your experience of love letters is better than mine. I've heard it said before now that the Bible is God's love letter to humankind. And, and I think it is. But these letters in the book of Revelation to the seven churches, what are we to think of them? Are they love letters? Because they contain quite a lot of criticism as well as encouragements. I don't know about you, but I think this would sound a bit strange. Dear Pads, I'm head over heels in love with you, but I have this one thing against you. You have bad BO, or something like that. I mean, it, it doesn't work as a love letter, does it? So are these letters to the churches in Revelation really from a God who loves the church that he's writing to? Well, let's find out. Let's look at the letter to the church in Sardis and see what was going on. He says, I know your deeds, in verse 1. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive. So this was a church that was a happening church. Things were going on. It was well known for its deeds and for, for having life in it. And yet, he says, you are dead. What does he mean by that? And isn't it a bit worrying for us that we might think that we're living a good Christian life when in fact there's some major problem that, that God has with us? Because clearly some of the Christians in Sardis weren't walking the way God wanted them to. But you are dead. So let's have a think about the motive, the motive in these letters. Why does Jesus inspire the Apostle John to write these seven letters to the churches? Well, I think it's all about love. I think Jesus loves the church too much to let him see it just slide down a slippery slope. And that's why he's writing. I remember a time when Kirsty, well, it was actually before I met Kirsty, but she told me about a time when she lived in London with a group of friends and one of her friends got into trouble. He, became, he got into drugs, he became addicted to heroin. And his life started going down a slippery slope. And all his friends said to him, you know, you, you've got to stop doing this, you've got to stop doing this. And he said, no, no, don't worry, I can handle it, I'm all right. But they knew he wasn't. And he was going down this slippery slope. And in the end, the friends got together, and they thought, we've got to do something about this. And so they decided that they would tell his family, because his family certainly didn't know. And Kirsty drew the short straw to go and speak to his father, which was a pretty short straw because his father was a high court judge. So it wasn't a very easy thing to go and tell him that his son was hooked on heroin. But she did, and he acted very quickly. And he confronted his son, and he got him into a rehab. And 30 years later, he has not, touched a drop to dr had, not had a drop to drink or any drugs at all. He's been clean for more than 30 years. More than that, over the last 30-something years, he has helped hundreds of others through Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous to be freed of their addictions to alcohol and drugs. 
He's a strong Christian today. In fact, his name's Chris, and he's also very important to me personally because he's also the person who took me to a little church in the African bush 13 years ago where I first met with the living God. So he's why I'm standing here today as well. But the point of that story is that, is that Kirsty and her friends didn't shop him to his family because they were annoyed with him. It was because they loved him. And I think this is why Jesus is writing to the churches in these seven letters, because he so loves them, he doesn't want to see them go down the slippery path. He doesn't want to see them come off the rails. Sixty years earlier, Jesus, in his love, had gone to the cross and carried the sins of the whole world to die for you and for me, for the people in Sardis, in order that we could be forgiven and set free of our addiction to sin, if you like. So these letters are a wake-up call from a lover to his beloved, from Jesus to the church. But what was it they were doing wrong? Well, if we look in in the letter, in verse 2, he says, "'Wake up, strengthen what remains,' And is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Well, he's not very precise. So, in fact, as we read this today, we don't know exactly what was going wrong in the church in Sardis. It could be that, like other churches in the letters in Revelation, that they were worshipping other idols in addition to worshipping Jesus. It could be that they'd been led down the path of sexual immorality, which some of the other churches had been. But we don't know for sure. How are we to know if we are walking off the straight and narrow path? In our Gospel reading this morning... We saw in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount an amazing picture of Christian discipleship. The one thing we do know about the church in Sardis is that there was a failure in discipleship. And in that condensed sort of version of the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect mirror for us to look into to work out whether or not we are walking with Jesus. In that passage... We have the Beatitudes, the call to humility. Is that what we look like in the mirror? We have the call to love people we don't get along with, love your enemies. Is that the kind of lives we live? We have the call in the last verse, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do we treat other people just as we would like to be treated? Jesus doesn't want just an hour or two of our lives on a Sunday morning. He wants all of us. He wants our hearts, our minds, our possessions, every single part of us. Make no mistake, I think this is a love letter. When two people are in love, they don't put up with an hour here and now, here and there. They don't put up with a postcard now and again. They want the physical presence of their beloved 
24-7, 365 days a year. Jesus wants all of us. The good news is that some of them in Sardis were walking with Jesus. In verse 4, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. What does that mean? Well, in the early church, when people got baptised, they were usually baptised in full immersion underwater. They were usually baptised naked. Women were baptised by women. Men were baptised by men. You'll be pleased to hear. But when they came up out of the water, they were given a white robe. And the white robe signified that they had been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, that they, their sins were forgiven. They were now pure in the sight of God. So what have we got to do in order that our white robes, if you like, are not soiled? Well, we need to do a number of things. We need to look in that mirror of God's word, of Jesus' teaching. We need to look at that and discover whether or not there are any shortcomings. We mustn't look at it through rose-tinted glasses and say, oh, well, we're doing all right. We must, we must look at it through the lens of the double-edged sword of the Word of God, the teachings of Jesus. And where we fall short, we need to do something about it. Are there ungodly things in our lives? Do you know over 100,000 people, maybe Maybe over a million people, I don't know, a very large number of people in this country are addicted to online pornography on the internet. Everywhere people are addicted to online pornography. They're not evil people. Like any addiction, they're caught up in something they cannot get released from. Are we addicted to other things? To personal pride? Is God knocking on our door, asking us, has he been knocking on our door for some time, asking us to do something and we're putting it off and putting it off and putting it off? Are we harboring anger or resentment or unforgiveness towards somebody else? These are the ways, these are some of the things that can catch us out in life. And what we need to do is to look at the words in verse 3. Jesus says, remember therefore that you have received what you have received and heard. The church in Sardis would have had the Beatitudes. They would have known all of those teachings of Jesus. And he says, hold it fast and repent. Where we see we're falling short, we need to fall on our knees and ask Jesus to release us so that we can be forgiven. And he gives us time to come back to him. He gives us time to repent. But he says, if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief. Time is not unlimited. Our lives are only so long. And he says, you won't know what time I will come to you. And so, if we want to be people who walk in white, that's what we need to do. And the good news is that he says in verse 5, that those who do walk in righteousness, in victory, I will never blot out that the name of that person, from the book of life. In other words, I offer an eternal relationship of love to. 
And here's a, a final thought. We had this wonderful holiday club this week with, as you've heard, dozens and dozens and dozens of children. And we could have run just an entirely secular, fun holiday club with games and crafts and drama and, and all that kind of thing. And we could have packed out the hall if we'd done that. But actually, that would have had no spiritual power at all. For a church, that would have been the, the slippery slope, if you like. I'm so glad that the holiday club was packed full of powerful Christian teaching. Worship songs, three or four teaching windows every single day throughout the holiday club. The children invited to respond on the Friday. Dozens of them put their hands up to say that they wanted to be a friend of Jesus. And they weren't, this wasn't a light thing. They were challenged about all sorts of things, about anger, about bullying, about lying, about all those kinds of things. And many of them, most of them, at the end of the week said, I want to be a friend of Jesus. That's great, isn't it, for the children? But us adults, we need to keep a close account as well. We need to be looking in the lens of Jesus' word in order to know that we're following him, that we are disciples of his. We need to be reading and rereading this love letter from God.